Welcome to another podcast with City Edge Church. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Why don't you take a seat? Thank you, James. Great man of God. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm so glad you guys are here tonight. I do have a word that has been burning in my heart. I did share it this morning, so you guys get round two, which is very exciting. But before I start, let's just pray, hey? because this is all about God, this is not about me at all. So Father God, I just thank you that you are here. I pray, Lord God, that as I speak, that Father God, that your people would not just see me, would not see me, but God, that they would see you, that they would hear your voice, that they would have revelation, God, for what your next step for them in their journey is. Lord God, I just thank you that you are here. Guide my words tonight as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So for those who don't know me, my name is Kate. I am Paul's wife and uh, we are the lead pastors here at City Edge Church. And you know, a few years ago, we actually lived in Sydney for a while, for about 18 months. And um, there were a lot of things that I loved about Sydney. I love that the shops were open 24 hours a day. One of my favorite things. In fact, we lived right down the the road from a major Westfield. It was so cool because if I wanted to buy string at 11 o'clock at night, I could buy string at 11 o'clock at night. I didn't have to wait till 8 o'clock the next morning, you know. And, you know, they had amazing restaurants. The diversity was excellent. The nightlife was great. That was before we had kids. So we had a nightlife, right? But I actually learned a lot of things when we were in Sydney. And one of the things that I learned is what I like to call the unwritten traffic law of the pause. And it goes like this. So when you're driving, right, and you stop because the light has turned red, you must not get distracted. Not like they do in Queensland by picking up your kid's toy off the floor or fixing your makeup or checking your Facebook or your email. Because the thing is, that if that light goes green and you haven't seen it and you pause, then now you will be subjected to the law of the pause. And what that means is that the person behind you now has the right to to, uh, hold their horn on and follow you down the road and around the corner and around the block. In fact, they can hold that thing on as long as necessary that they think that you will need to learn your lesson that you must never, ever, 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 ever pause when you stop at a green light again. And if you haven't been to Sydney, this is a real thing. I am not like inflating the story at all. This is true. And um, you see, because everyone gets frustrated when we pause, right? Especially when we're driving. You know what it's like if you don't know, if you're a teenager and you're not driving, get ready. This is in your future. (laughs) Reading the stars. No, we don't do that here. I don't even know how you read the stars. How do you do that? You don't, you don't, we got the Bible. We don't need that sort of stuff. You know, when you're coming up to a roundabout, right? And it's a busy roundabout and you're trying to merge and there's a person in front of you and you see the gap. And you're just praying, Jesus, let them take the gap. And then they don't. It is so, so frustrating. You know, when actually I was a teenager, 
I remember my dad trying to convince me that it wasn't the people that sped that caused traffic accidents, but it was in fact the people that paused or the people that hesitated. And you know, it was actually right after he'd received a speeding fine uh, from a police officer in Brisbane. And um, so anyway, you can take that or leave that if you think it's true or not. But the thing is, is that watching somebody else pause, when we feel that we can see that the action they should take is obvious, it can be frustrating at times. But the truth is, is that we've all had moments in our lives when we've jumped into things, uh, when we perhaps should have paused longer, things like for the mums, mum guilt or comparison, perhaps we should have held back a bit longer. And... Um, Sometimes there's been times where we've held back or we've paused longer when we should have uh, begun and continued to take steps forward. You know, things like building life-giving relationships, things like being vulnerable and open with people when we're going through a hard time. And the thing is, is that sometimes we pause so long in our lives that instead of moving forward into the things that God has for us, that we actually find ourselves stuck. Now, whether you're a mum here today, whether you're a man, woman, teenager, young adult, I just want to tell you right off the bat that you were not created to warm seats. They've got equipment that does that these days, so you don't actually need to do it. You know, you are created for purpose. You are created to live intentionally within the call of God over your life. You are called to carry the Spirit of God, the hope of the world, into this lost and broken world. You you were created to be the salt and the light on this earth. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've, uh, you've probably heard this said, and probably deep down you know this. Maybe you don't know this, or at the very least, maybe you don't know God in this place, but you've sensed that your life was meant for more. And the reason is, is because actually we are created for more. But for some of us here, perhaps you have found yourself in a holding season right now. Maybe you have felt stuck. Maybe you've been going around and around the same mountains year after year. You know, Groundhog Day is literally a thing in your life. And you've asked the questions. You're like, how do I move beyond this? How, how can I see change in my life? I'm just so frustrated. Will I ever get past this? Now, if you've never felt this way in your life, maybe you should be the one taking notes tonight and um, file it away for future reference because we all go through times in our lives where we feel stuck. But the thing is, is God does not want us to remain there. And as long as you are on this side of eternity, God has a next step for you. And luckily... We are not the first generation to ever experience this. In fact, we can look all through the Bible and all through history and see people who've experienced this phenomenon. So tonight we are going to look at the Word of God for wisdom in why we get stuck and how we can move beyond that in our lives. And now I shared this morning that I actually began with six points, six P points, uh, why we get stuck. I'm down to two. So you should be absolutely very happy about that. You can do a little internal change. Here. Please don't do it out loud. That would be offensive. Um, but we're down to two. So I am actually going to look at the story of Moses. So if you want to turn to Exodus 2, you can do that. It is going to be on the screen anyway. 
And under Pastor Paul's advisement, I did cut uh, the, the background story of Moses down. You should also be very happy about that. I like the details. I want to know, you know, where the setting was and all of that about Moses. So if you're that kind of person too, yay, we are in the same boat. Uh, write it down. Go and have a look at it during the week. You will not be disappointed. So let me tell you about Moses, right? So Moses is a Hebrew and he was born at the time when the Pharaoh of the time had just made this decree or order that every Hebrew boy baby that was to be born should be executed at the point of their birth. And um, so the Hebrews were God's people. They were the Israelites. I'm going to call them Israelites from now on. The Israelites were God's people who were living in a foreign nation. They were living in Egypt. Um, so the thing was, and I just want to just want to say this, that when Moses should have died, it's amazing to see that when man is planning the churches or the people of God's destruction, that God has a plan for their salvation. And I just love this. You see, what happened to Moses is that he was actually rescued and he grew, he was rescued by an Egyptian princess and he grew up within the palace. So he was exposed to, uh, I guess, every opportunity that a, um, an Egyptian prince would be exposed to. But he sensed a call on his life uh, to help his people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, who were increasingly being subjected to abuse and slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. So one day Moses is grown, right? And he feels this stirring. He feels this calling on his life and he begins to take matters into his hands. So what he does, he goes out one day and he sees an Egyptian and an Israelite having an altercation. So what he does is he goes and kills the Egyptian, goes and buries him in the sand and that's how he's going to save, you know, the Israelites. And then the next day, he goes out and two Israelites are having an argument. And he goes to them and he's pretty much like, like, guys, can't we get along? Can't we just sort this thing out? You know, your brothers, let's, you know, let's just get along. And so these guys turn to him and they're like, they're like, I'll say like another time. They're like, who are you? Who, who are you? Are, aren't you this guy that just killed a guy the other day? Are you going to do that to us as well? And so Moses became afraid. He was afraid that this thing was found out. And of course, it was found out. And so he fled for his life. He fled to the land of Midian, uh, where he wasn't known. And um, in fact, he actually stayed there and lived there for 40 years before we hear about him again. So this was before, this was until one day. Uh, in Exodus 3, verse 2, you can turn to that if you'd like. We see Moses, you know, Moses' story starts being exposed again. And so he's out leading a flock of sheep. He ended up having a family. He ended up, um, I guess, establishing a, a job or a career as a shepherd. And so he's out leading these sheep, right? And then from verse 2, we'll read it. It says, And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
And he, Moses, said to him, here I am. So God actually goes on to tell Moses that he has seen the affliction of the Israelites. He's seen what is going on in Egypt. And it was time that they be brought out of Egypt and into the promised land, the land that God had set aside for them. The thing was, the situation to which Moses was initially called, it hadn't changed. In fact, it had worsened. The abuses had worsened. The slavery had worsened. And it was time for them to go. And God was calling Moses to be the one to lead them out. God was calling him to re-engage. But the thing was, is that Moses hadn't just pressed pause on the call of God on his life. He pressed stop. He'd ejected the disc, he'd snapped it in half and he'd thrown it in the bin because Moses was stuck and he had resolved that the way his life uh, was right then was that that was all it was ever going to be from that point on. So my first point tonight is why Moses was stuck. One of the reasons why Moses was, was stuck, one of the reasons why we get stuck and that is our past. Our past can keep us stuck. So let's turn to Exodus 3 verse 10. So this, the, the dialogue continues. And God says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He says, Who am I? Who am I? What he's actually saying is, Lord, you know, 40 years ago, I actually tried to intervene in a quarrel between the Israelites and uh, I spoke up to them. I encouraged them, you know, to, to sort it out and all that sort of thing. That was me that did that. Don't you remember? And it didn't work out. And, you know, actually, I killed a guy as well. And then these guys, they question my character, they question my integrity, my motivation, and I couldn't help them, and they didn't actually want my help anyway. I've got nothing to add into this situation. So who am I, God? I'm not your guy. Forty years earlier, Moses had set himself up as the champion of Israel. He was confident. He was assertive. He was willing. He was going to do whatever it took to help the Israelites get, get free from their oppressors. Fast forward 40 years. Now Moses is stuck. He wasn't in a physical prison, but he was stuck in his internal world. Moses's past spoke to his present and it clouded the picture of his future. You know, and I think that a lot of us would like to think that if God showed up to us in a burning bush and spoke to us audibly that we could hear it, that, uh, you know, and came to us and said, this is the reason why you exist and why you were put on earth. We, I think we'd like to think that we would absolutely be like, I'm all in God, take me, whatever, I will do whatever you say. I mean, a burning bush. I mean, you can't get much better than that. Maybe a huge angel or something like that. But I'm not so convinced because we've all got areas in our lives. I mean, you could be, you could be like 90% free, but we've all got areas in our lives, things from the past that can keep us stuck 
that can keep and hold us back. You know, for some of us here, perhaps you've had words spoken over your life as you were growing up. You know, maybe they were last week. I don't know. For some of us, we have trauma from the past. We've got failures from the past, disappointments from the past that are playing on repeat in our head. And it doesn't really matter that the physical restraints aren't there because our internal world speaks louder and the thoughts define who we, who we are, how we, who we believe God to be and our, our ability, sorry, to move forward. You see, when the past speaks to your future and when it speaks louder than what God is saying and where God is directing you to, then you are stuck. And when it speaks shame louder than grace, when it speaks offense louder than forgiveness, when it says you're not good, you're broken, you did wrong, you've reached your capacity, that's all you're ever gonna achieve, so you might as well get used to it. Then your thoughts and your feelings and experiences have created a prison around your soul. It has created a filter through which you would view any opportunities coming your way, including the opportunities that God is bringing your way that will help you and and call you into your future. Dr. Dan Siegel says this. He's not a Christian psychologist or anything, but I really like his work. And he says this, when unresolved issues are writing our life story, we are not our own autobiographers. We are merely recorders of how the past continues, often without our awareness, to intrude upon our present experience and shape our future directions. See, unresolved issues, they impact our present. They shape our future. But the good news is, is that if you know Jesus in this place, and even if you don't, He actually wants you to walk in freedom in every area of your life. You know, when you come to know Him, part of your journey is actually that you would find freedom, not to keep repeating the mistakes of the past, but together you would create a future and a different story. See, Jesus says in John 10 verse 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. He wants first for us to know him and then to walk in the freedom of his joy, his purpose, his peace, his forgiveness, his grace. He actually wants you to become unstuck, to be set free from whatever is holding you back so you can actually live to the potential of why you were created. And the Bible gives us amazing answers and wisdom in how we can walk in this, how we can become unstuck in this area. So I'd love to look at 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. I'm going to give you one way today. There's other ways. This is one. So the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So we don't wage war with aggression and fighting and guns. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know, a stronghold can be any area of your life, anything in your life that has gripped you. It can be the past. It can be attitudes. It can be worry or fear or resentment or insecurity. It can be a worldview and lies of the enemy. The scripture goes on to say that we can demolish arguments and every pretension. A pretension is a false or unsupported claim, a lie that we actually believe is truth, a pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 
we have to realize first that sometimes what we war against is not always tangible. It is not a person always. It is not, uh, it's not something in the flesh. It's not a place. It's not a title you've been given. It's not a position. But a stronghold can be anything that presents itself as truth. But it is not a truth because it's contrary to what God says about who he, who he is, who you are. And it's against what the Word of God says, against the promises of God. So if you're stuck, God has a truth about you or about your situation that you have not believed or experienced yet. He knows it as a truth but you don't see it as a truth. And if you are going to move out of the stuck zone, we have to actually take a hold of it as a truth. And then as Paul writes, uh, take every other thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We have to bring the thoughts, the past, the definition of our identity and bring it into submission to God's word through the authority given to us in Jesus. You know, when God says peace, when God says you can have joy, when God says you can be strong in Jesus' name, when God says you were made for more, we have to believe and live in that truth. So God comes, uh, speaks to Moses and he says this. He says, I will be with you. I have called you. Uh, nothing is impossible for me. God comes and he rebuilds his calling. He rebuilds his identity. Uh, he shows him that the past has no power over him, over him anymore so long as he is walking with him. He says, last time you acted in your own strength, but this time I'm gonna be with you. It's gonna be okay. Sorry, I will redeem what has been lost. So guys, no matter what you have walked through in your life to this point, God has a future for you. He has a next step. Your past does not have to control you or define you or rob you or cloud you any longer. And for some of us here today, and you know it, it's time that you start letting that thing go. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And my second point here tonight is one, another thing that keeps us stuck is perfection. Perfection keeps us stuck. So the story with Moses goes on. The dialogue goes on. And so Moses says to God, he says, you, God, they're not going to believe me. If I do what you say, they're not going to believe me. And God responds to him and he says this. He says, actually, Moses, they are going to believe you and you're gonna lead them out to the holy mountain and you're gonna worship me on that mountain and it's gonna be great. And this is how you're gonna do it. You're gonna speak to the elders of Israel. Then you're gonna go and speak to Pharaoh. And you know, he's gonna push back a bit and um, you know, he's not gonna let my people go, but I'm gonna do miracles and it's gonna be okay because I've got answers for every time that happens. And you will see the people released. And so now Moses knows that God is going to be with him. He has a bit of a strategy about how he's going to do it. And he knows the Israelites really, really need to be saved. And in Exodus 4 verse 10 though, Moses still says to God, he says this, Oh my Lord. I mean, how many of our conversations and prayers with God begin with that? Oh my Lord. You know, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So what Moses was saying is 
God, you're actually calling me to lead a very large group of people. You're calling me to speak up. But God, didn't you know that I actually have these deficits? And they don't align with the skill set of the person that you're calling me to be. You know, I'm sure someone else can do this better than me. In fact, I believe that anybody else can do this better than me. I am not going to be the right person for this job. I'm just not perfect. And the Bible says that God was totally shocked. He couldn't believe that he'd made the mistake of choosing a guy that couldn't speak properly. You know, he, if you don't know the Bible, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> You're like, mm-hmm, he did say that. <laughs> Just kidding. God was not taken by surprise. He was not wondering how he could back out of this one because he got it wrong. You know, God knew what Moses' limitations were and kept this church. He was actually okay with it. He says in verse 11, this is God talking to Moses. He's like, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to speak. He says, I will be with your deficit. Where you are weak, I will be strong. The need for perfection, it's not God's issue. It's our issue. The idea that we've got to have it all together before we step out. You know, perfection keeps us stagnant. It keeps us stuck. It prevents us from uh, taking risks for God and taking steps of faith into what He has called us to do. It prevents us from leaving the stuck zone. And perfectionism, it's fueled by couple of the fuels are false expectations and fear. And as parents today, you know, some of you aren't parents. I'll explain why your parents act, why they do. But as parents, we put such high expectations on ourselves to have everything together, to have our family together, to have our house together, to have a career at the same time, and to have a great wardrobe all to go together. And um, we feel that we need to expose our children to every possible opportunity that comes their way to prepare them for any potential path in life that they could possibly want to take in the future. You know, and they're in five different sports. They're in the banking program at school because we want them to be financially responsible. We want them to know that. We've got them in tutoring. We've got them in academia, excellent programs. None of this stuff is wrong, by the way. But we've got them at a million different playdates before they turn one because we want to make sure that they are socially accepted and that they are going to do well in life. And, you know, if we're not trying everything, we feel as if we are not doing enough. And if we aren't perfect, it's, it's as if we are doing nothing and we are defaulting on our obligations to our kids. And because of these expectations we place on ourselves, we take less risk for God. And it keeps us stuck. We think that because we haven't got this perfection thing nailed in our families and at home, that we think we've got nothing to give outside of that. You know, like I can't speak into somebody else's life. I mean, I can't even get my two-year-old to listen. Like how could I possibly convince an adult of this thing you're telling me to do? You know, I can't make a meal for someone because my six-year-old tells me that my cooking is disgusting. And that's an actual thing that has happened to me. You know, I can actually cook by the way, <laughs> Riley, you know, 
<laughs> he's not here, so it's okay. <laughs> we'll replay that back to him when he's an adult. No. You know, I can't have someone over for dinner because my house is crazy. Or I'm a single mum. What have I got to offer? You know, for maybe for others here, it's I can't run a life group because I don't know as much as, as those other people. They know everything and I, I don't really know as much and I can't do it. I can't join a team. I mean, what skills do I have to offer? I can't take the step into what God is calling me to do because I'm not there yet and I'm not perfect. Unrealistic expectations, false expectations. But God is okay with your deficit. God is okay, and if he's asked you to step out, he actually already knows you've got it. He is not surprised. You know, when I was in the second grade, we were doing a, an activity, and we we're all sitting on the mat, and we were passing around what was called a tape recorder at the time for all the young people who don't know what a tape recorder is. Um, and what you would do is you would hold the button down, you would record your voice... <laughs> I'm sorry. We would record your voice and then you would play it back and you would be able to hear, you would be able to hear your voice. I mean, you do it on your phone these days, but we had a tape recorder. And um, so I don't actually know what the learning outcome was of the, the activity. And if you're a teacher, you can tell me later. But so we were doing this thing, right? And we were passing the tape recorder around the class and listening to our voices back. And by the time it got to me, and when I heard my voice, I was just overcome with shame. I couldn't believe that my voice sounded like that. I'm like, did you guys use like a different like filter or something on my voice? They didn't have that back then, so they didn't. But you know, like, I can't believe this was me. I was so, so embarrassed. And in my memory, I remember kids laughing. They probably didn't, but that's how I internalized it. And I remember saying these words to myself. I will never speak in front of anyone ever again. And this oath created an insecurity in my world that informed my world from that point on. And um, it wasn't the fault of the kids who laughed. I mean, people laugh. They're allowed to laugh. I don't know, and I don't know why that experience stuck more than others. But at the heart of it, I didn't ever want to appear foolish in front of anyone again. So I would work really hard to make sure that it never happened again. I worked really hard to make sure that I was the best at something or at least up the top because if you're the best at something, it is likely that you won't feel foolish, or at least how the thought went. Completely inaccurate, but that's what I thought. And this is such an impossible and stifling expectation to place on somebody's life. And actually, I'd completely forgotten about it up until a couple of years ago. God reminded me of it. And um, when he did, it was something that I repented of. I had to renounce it in the name of Jesus because God was actually calling me to step forward in an area and this thing had become a blockage to me stepping forward. You know, some of you guys here today, you've made oaths to yourself that are keeping you stuck. Oaths that are actually in direct opposition to what God is calling you to do. You know, maybe there's some men here. You know, I'll never... I'll never be vulnerable to a woman again. I will never open my heart like that to a woman. I'll never be made to feel foolish. You know, maybe for others, you know, I'll never speak up to my parents about Jesus again. They ask questions and I didn't know the answers and I felt foolish. Maybe for others, I will never put my hand up for that promotion again. I was passed over last time and 
never again. Or I will never enter the education system again. And our fear of looking foolish, our fear of failure and the belief that you have to have it all together, that we have to have it all together is the very thing standing in the way of your next step, your step out of the stuck zone. You see, the pursuit of perfection is rooted in the natural realm, in natural responsibilities. But God is calling us to walk in the supernatural realm, in faith in Him and faith in His possibilities. And the thing is, church, is that anyone who did anything significant significant for God, that they risked looking foolish. I mean, can you imagine when Jesus is standing before the crowd of 5,000 and he tells the disciples, you know, go and get them something to eat. And this little boy walks up to him and he's got like five fish and however many loaves or however the story goes. And um, it's like, dude, did you not do maths at school? Like this... Many people cannot be fed by this little bit of food. That seems foolish. When a virgin uh, responds to God and says, yes, I will be the person that will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, and birth Him into the world as the Savior of the world, risking her reputation, risking her, uh, uh, her life, actually, risking her marriage. I mean, that was foolish, When Sarah, an elderly woman, believed that God would, in fact, impregnate her her husband Abraham and her in her very old age. You know, I mean, could you imagine her at a maternity boutique? You know, hi, how are you going today? It's great. How's the weather? Oh, excellent. Great. Can I help you with anything? Is that for your granddaughter? Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's actually for me. Like, can you imagine how foolish she must have felt being impregnated in her old age? And get this, imagine the disciples in a boat, Jesus walking to them on the water, and Peter says, you know, Jesus, if it's you, call me, and I'll come out and I'll walk on the water with you. You know, Peter, people don't walk on water. You know, and you're a people. You know, we can't do this. This is not part of how we're made up. Absolutely foolish. And Moses, a guy with insecurities and a speech impediment, leading a nation out of captivity through his conversations with one of the world powers in the time. Absolutely foolish. And I could go on and on, and I won't, and you'll thank me for it, but I could. I could go on and on through people throughout history that God has called to take the next step toward the call of God on on their lives. And sometimes that has mean that they would look foolish, that they wouldn't have it all together. But the thing was, is that they were brave rather than perfect. You know, when when we leave perfectionism to the side and when we embrace brave, God will use you for mighty exploits. God will use you. God will lead you out of the stuck zone and into your future. You know, these people, they came with an open hand to Jesus. What I have, what I am, I give to you, Jesus. And maybe you could make it great and that would be awesome. But if you don't, I don't care. I want to do this life with you. They came in humility saying, I will leverage whatever skill, whatever gift, whatever time, whatever finance you ask me to give, I will leverage it for your glory at your word. And by the way, 
Moses did let God use him. And his life became one of miracle after miracle. He's one of the greatest leaders uh, in the Christian faith or probably across the world. You know, he experienced a closeness to God that had not been experienced. He wrote books in the Old Testament that you read today. He led the Israelites out of captivity and into the promised land or to the promised land. So guys, girls, we need to be brave rather than perfect. We need to be brave rather than perfect. And we need to be okay with doing it afraid sometimes. For the only reason is what God spoke to Moses when he said, I will be with you. So let's wrap up. God is not done with you. And for some of us, it's time to press play. It's time to come out of the stuck zone. It's time that your future spoke louder than your past. It's time that you believed the truth of who God says you are and actually the truth about who God is more than what your feelings and your mind say. It's time that perfection and comparison weren't the deciding factors as to whether or not we would obey the voice of God in our lives. It's time we take the step. God is not limited. It says in Ephesians 3 that He can do exceedingly and abundantly above what you could ask or think. And I can think of some pretty amazing things for God. And He says that He can do more. Friend, when we push back on our comfort and when we take the conditions off our faith, you know that God, I, I will do that, but I won't do that. You know, like I will go to church, but I won't tithe. And I will go and hang out with that person, but I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. You know, those conditions, when we take them off our faith, we begin to move forward. We begin to move out of the stuck zone. And when you persevere in what God is calling you to do, you will possess the promise. You will walk in what God has laid out for you since the beginning of time. The call of God that He has placed on your life, you will possess it. And no man and no person and nothing will stand in the way of that. So I want to ask you, what is your next step? What has God shown you that you will become? What is the thing God is speaking to you that you've held back and held back and held back? And I know we've all been there, but maybe it's time to press play. Who on earth are you called to influence for Him and for His kingdom? I wanna tell you guys that the world needs you. The world actually needs you. The devil will try to convince you that it doesn't. It is not true. There are people awaiting you taking your next step. There are people who need your voice. There are people that need your time, that people that need your prayers. There are people waiting for you to take your next step. You know, our, our sort of catch cry, catch cry or, or whatever it's called, of INC, our movement, the, the movement our church is a part of, is born for more. And we believe that with every fiber of our, our being, that you are born for more in this place. And I'm so excited to see people taking their next step for God because it will be great. It is great. In Jesus' name.